Amen. Good morning. Oh, come on. I said good morning. There we go. Thank you. Uh, well, I'm so happy to be here, um, just to be able to speak and uh, just open up this Christmas uh, series. Christmas is one of my favorite times of the year, but one of my favorite times of the year also just passed Thanksgiving, so I hope you guys all enjoyed that time with your family, got to eat everything that you wanted to eat. I know my clothes are feeling a little bit tight today, but it's the holiday season, right? It's kind of to be expected. I also, we had some people over a couple of weeks ago, just as like a, a Friendsgiving kind of thing, just something small. And I was in charge of cooking a turkey for the first time. And let me tell you, I have so much more respect for, you know, moms and grandmas and everyone that has people over their house for these events and holidays and stuff, because I honestly never want to have anyone over my house again. It was probably one of the most stressful things I've ever done in my life, but it was great. It was great. Um, so today, as we start, as we begin this, um, holiday series. My title of my message this morning is Light of Christmas into the Night, into the Night. And in the Bible, the word light is frequently used. We see it a lot. And um, light can mean a lot of different things to a lot of different people, right? To the scientist, for example, light means energy. To the sinner, light means purity. To the philosopher, light can mean enlightening or understanding or knowledge, and the great news for us is that Jesus really turns out to be all of those things in one as the light of the world that came down for us. And the funny thing about light is that we can see its effects excuse me, the best in the darkest rooms. We can see lights affect the best in the darkest rooms, right? So I've been married for about a year and a half now. And um, for those of you who are married or, you know, who have who've lived with a roommate or a significant other in the past, you know that you can remember back to those days when you first moved in with them and you begin to learn all of their intricacies and, you know, all the things that make them tick and their habits and everything. Well, my wife, Trish, Trish, if you can give everyone a wave, um, she has a very specific habit that we, we talk about all the time. Um, she's a light lever on her. She likes to leave lights on in every room at all times of the day. <laughs> it could be a perfect, sunny, 75, not a cloud in the sky day, lights coming in through the windows, all the lights will be on. Bedroom light, kitchen light, living room light. You can't even see the effect of the light when all that natural light is coming in, right? When you turn it on, it doesn't even make a difference. You don't notice if it's on or off or whatever. But when it's dark out and it's nighttime, that's when you begin to see the light poking through the darkness, right? The more darkness there is, the more powerful and effective that a light becomes, right? So today I want to talk to you about the most important light of all coming down to one of the darkest places. And the title of my message, as I said, is Light of Christmas Into the Night. Everyone say, Into the Night. Yes. Today I want to talk to you about the why behind Christmas. You know, why did Jesus come to earth in the first place? Why did God send him? So if you have your Bibles on you this morning, I invite you to turn with me. We're going to be in Colossians chapter 1, verses 12 to 14. Colossians chapter 1, verses 12 to 14. And give me a big risen king amen when we're all there together. Awesome. Thanks, Pastor Tom. <laughs> verse 12 says this and giving joyful thanks to the father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light 
For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So, Father God, I just bless the reading of your word. God, thank you for bringing us all here together. I pray that you would just open our hearts and minds to what you'd have for us to learn today. In your name we pray. Amen. So today I'm here to tell you that Jesus came to this earth with a plan and a purpose. A plan and a purpose. This wasn't an afterthought or an accident. This wasn't that God didn't have anything better to do that day, so he decided to send Jesus. Our scripture this morning tells us that Jesus came into the night for four very specific reasons. And our first reason is Jesus came into the night to qualify us. Everyone say to qualify qualify us. The dictionary definition of the word qualify is to be entitled to a particular benefit or privilege by fulfilling a necessary condition. For example, if you've ever applied for a loan for a car or house, you know that you can't get any money from lenders unless you meet a certain criteria, right? There's certain things that they look for. Lenders want to know that you're a wise risk for them to take. If this is the 12th loan that you've applied for in the last year and you're up to your eyeballs in debt, Chances are you're probably not going to get any money from these people. But, however, if you, have, if you pay your bills on time, right, and you have a steady job with consistent income that you can prove and manage the debts that you currently have, what happens? You're approved for the loan. What do they say? The lenders say that you are qualified. When you commit yourself fully to Jesus and when you accept him as Lord over your life and the God of the universe qualifies you, he approves you. He looks at you. He says, she's mine. He's mine. Right? I've called you my own. They belong to me. I've qualified them. And Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 to 5, puts it this way. Verse 4 says, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions or sin. It is by grace you've been saved. What is it by? It's by our works. It's by what we do. No, it is by grace. Amen. We've been qualified by God even in our sin, on our worst days, when we feel the most unworthy, when we feel the most undeserving of love. God looks at us and he calls us his children. We've been qualified in spite of ourselves when we don't deserve to be. You may have heard it put it put this way in a time or two. God doesn't call the qualified, he qualifies the called. God doesn't call the qualified, he qualifies the called. Paul talks about this in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 27 to 29. He says, But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are, so that no one may boast before him. In other words, God is not looking for perfect people. Can I get an Amen. God is not looking for perfect people, because if that was the case, none of us would be here. I wouldn't be here. Pastor Tom wouldn't be here. None of us would be here. What he is looking for, though, are humble hearts that are willing to be molded by and shaped by his love. In our weakness, God's power shines the strongest. In our brokenness, God's healing shines through the brightest. God takes the deepest and darkest things in our lives and filters them through his grace and gives us a hope and a future in him. He takes our mourning and he turns it into dancing. He takes sadness and he gives us joy instead. He takes depression and insecurity in our lives and gives us a strong and confident identity as a child of God, that we know who we are and who we belong to because he has qualified us by coming down for us. He takes the lies that we believe about ourselves and he replaces them with the truth and the promises of his word. 
It's because of his radical grace and his love that we can stand here today qualified and set apart as God's holy people. Jesus came into the night to qualify you. And the second reason that Jesus came into the night was to claim us. Everyone say claim. Jesus came to claim you. Colossians chapter 1 says that we have been named as heirs, as heirs, that we have been qualified to share in the inheritance of God's kingdom. Now, I just want you to take a minute and imagine a scenario with me. Just humor me for one second. It's Monday morning, right? You're probably snowed in, even though Pastor Tom thinks this blizzard isn't going to happen. I, I think the otherwise. I think it's going to. It's Monday morning. You're going through your emails on your phone or computer before you get ready for work, right? It's the usual stuff, junk mail, bills, Cyber Monday deals, whatever it is. You're going through and deleting and marking what you need to until you come across a different kind of message. You see urgent in the subject field and that this email was sent from an attorney's office. Maybe you think you're in trouble, but if, you think, if you're anything like me, you're curious at this point, so either way, you're going to open the email and check it out. It turns out that this attorney is inviting you to come by their office the following week to attend the reading of a will. One of your distant relatives has recently passed away, and the email says you need to be there because you're going to receive something that was willed to you from this relative. Prior to his death, he had named you an heir in his will. Do you think that you'd be there? Would you show up for that? Yeah, absolutely. Of course, depending on what you inherit, it could drastically change your life. Your life could never be the same. The amazing thing about a gift of inheritance is that it has nothing to do with what you've done, right? There's nothing that you did to earn that person giving you that, but everything to do with the generosity of the one who willingly shares it with you. It has nothing to do with what you've done for that gift, but everything to do with the generosity of the one who willingly shares it with you. And Ephesians chapter 1, verses 13 to 14 says this, And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal. Everyone say seal. The promised Holy Spirit who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. So in Bible times, a seal was often placed on, you know, goods and merchandise that were traveling from one place to another to indicate who they belonged to and where they were going. It indicated ownership. And we do this all the time today, too. You know, Amazon packages have shipping and receiving labels so they know who it's coming from, where it's going to. We write our names in our books or in our kids' clothes. Our farmers brand their cattle. All of these marks are to show ownership. So Paul says here that God has placed a seal upon us, the Holy Spirit, and it is to guarantee that we are genuine, that we are, it shows our ownership, who we belong to. It shows that we are approved, and it provides us with protection and security, it's really interesting to me that Paul uses the word deposit to describe the Holy Spirit, too. Those of you who own a home know that you have to make a down payment, right? Showing that you're serious about buying that house, that you have to put some money down first to back up that you are going to follow through and, and buy that house. The down payment is a promise that the rest is coming and that you intend to make the full purchase at some time. For us, the Holy Spirit is a lot like a down payment of heaven. Those times that you've sensed the Holy Spirit working in your life, when you've seen him working in you and through you and around you, those are just little tastes of what heaven is going to be like. It's a deposit. It's a down payment. Jesus came into the darkness to claim you as his own, 
and to fill us with his Holy Spirit. And the third reason Jesus came into the night was to rescue us, to rescue us. Verse 13 says that he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves. God not only qualifies and claims us as his own, but he rescues us from the darkness in ourselves and in this world around us. But why? Well, the obvious church answer is because he loves us. Right? You can pretty much get any question right in church with because Jesus loves us. I agree with that completely, but I think we can take that one step deeper. I think God rescued us so that we can in turn rescue others. Jude chapter 1 verse 23 says this, Save others by snatching them from the fire. To others show mercy mixed with fear, hating even the clothing stained by the corrupted flesh. The message version paraphrases it really cool. It says, go after those who take the wrong way. Go after those who take the wrong way. I think we can all say that we've taken the wrong way once or twice, right? C.T. Studd was a preacher decades ago, and he used to quote a, a little poem in some of his sermons. He would say, some people like to live within the sound of church or chapel bell, but I'd rather run a rescue shop within a yard of hell. Some people like to live within the sound of church or chapel bell, but I'd rather run a rescue shop within a yard of hell. As believers, this is the way that we should be wired. This is how we should think. We should always be reaching out, always on the lookout for lost people, always taking the time to care about people. It's not about us. We're here for other people. It should never end with us. We should never just get saved and just keep it to ourselves, right? What Jude is saying here in this verse is, hey, let's get actively involved in reaching hellbound people with the gospel. Let's prayerfully and intentionally pursue these people regardless of where they are spiritually, regardless of what they struggle with, because at the end of the day, we all realize that we're sinners in desperate need of a savior just the same. My question for us all today is, are you reaching out? Do you care? Do you take the time out to stop and meet people where they are? Are there people in your life that God has placed there with a purpose? Maybe you're someone who thinks that Jesus could never use you because of your background, because of what you've struggled with. Jesus would never be able to work through your sin. You're too broken. You're too messy. You were good for a while, but you fell back, and you could never get back to where you were. You believe those lies. You start to believe those things about you that you know just aren't true. But I've got news for you this morning. If that's you, you're exactly what he's looking for. In fact, I would say that you're God's specialty. He works the most powerfully through the most broken people. God will use the very thing that you think excludes you from being used by him to glorify his name. I'm going to say that again for someone. God will use the very thing that you think excludes you, the thing that you're most insecure about, the thing that hurts the most inside of you. He'll use that very thing to glorify his name, to bring glory to his name, to bring people to him. I've heard it put this way. God uses broken people like you and me to rescue broken people like you and me. It's the same, the same struggles that you have. Chances are there's someone that has that same thing, and they're exactly where you are maybe a year or maybe a week ago. And God could use you exactly where you are. You'll reach people that I'll never reach. You'll reach people that Pastor Tom will never reach because our circles are different in life, right? We, we, you meet different people. You come across different people. You've experienced different things. But God can use you. He's created you uniquely. And he's brought, he's brought you through unique situations to be able to turn around and bring people through that same thing. Jesus rescued us so that we can rescue others. 
And the fourth and final reason that Jesus came into the night is to redeem us. Everyone say redeem. Redeem. Jesus came to redeem us, to deliver us from our sin. Jesus redeemed you so that you could be reconciled with God and brought into his family. So I think if we were to boil down the question of why Jesus came down to its very core, we would find redemption and forgiveness as the leading motivations every time. Redemption and forgiveness at the forefront of every time. The book of Hebrews reminds us that without the shedding of blood, there can be no forgiveness of sins. It's just that in our minds, we wouldn't think it would be innocent blood, right? I mean, that sounds a little counterproductive to us, that this little baby would come down and Jesus would grow up and live this perfect life and he would never sin. Like, don't sacrifice that guy. That, we need more of that in the world, right? Like, that's the guy we're trying to emulate. That's who we want to be like. However, the Bible teaches us that it's through, it's because of his pure and perfect sacrifice that all of our imperfections are paid for. Paul says this in Romans chapter 5, verses 7 to 8. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. When we put our trust in God, he redeems us and forgives us. He gives us a clean slate and a fresh start. And as I was putting this message together, I came across this great story of a little boy in a sailboat. This little boy built this sailboat from scratch. He had it all fixed up. He tarred it and painted it. He took it to the lake and pushed it in, hoping it would sail. Sure enough, a strong breeze filled that little sail, and it billowed and went rippling along the waves. Suddenly, before the little boy knew it, the boat was out of his reach, even though he dove into the lake and tried to grab it. As he watched it float away, he hoped maybe the breeze would shift and it would sail back to him. Instead, he watched it go farther and farther until it was gone. When he went home crying, his mother asked, what's wrong? Didn't it work? He said, it worked too well. Sometime later, the little boy was downtown and walked past a secondhand store. There in the window, he saw the boat. It was unmistakably his. So he went to the owner and said, that's my boat. He walked to the window, picked it up, and started to leave with it. The owner of the shop said, wait a minute. That's my boat. I bought it from someone. He, the boy said, no, look, I made it. It's mine. And he showed him the little scratches and the marks where he hammered and filed the boat down. The man said, I'm sorry, boy. If you want it, you have to buy it. This poor little guy didn't have much money to his name, but he worked hard, and over a period of time, he saved his pennies, and finally, one day, he had enough money to buy that boat back. He went in and bought the little boat. As he left the store holding the boat close to him, he was heard saying, you're my boat. You're twice my boat. First, you're my boat because I made you, and second, you're my boat because I bought you. And that's how God looks at us now. We're twice his because he created us, he made us, and we're bought back from death and sin by the power of his blood. Amen. I'd like to ask our worship team to come forward. Amen. John chapter 1 verse 14 says that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. I love the way the message version um, paraphrases this. It says that God moved into our neighborhood. God moved into our neighborhood. So why did Jesus come into the night? Why did he move into our neighborhood? He came to qualify us, to claim us, to rescue us, and to redeem us. 
Jesus came to prove without a shadow of a doubt his love for you and me, for every person on this earth. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior. He is Christ the Lord. Let's worship him.